Tonight I'm going to talk about what I call the sacrifice of love. And I'm actually going to begin with a quote from the Christian Bible. This is a quote from the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives a, a, a rather long discourse at the Last Supper, in which he says a number of extraordinary things. And so this is from this, this Last Supper discourse in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And so in a very simple way, it's this very profound statement. Um, love means sacrifice unto death. And, and in the Christian context, it's, it's given all the more weight because it, if you're familiar with the Christian story, the day after the Last Supper is when Jesus died on the cross. So he's, he's very much living this out. And he's, he's really suggesting that his disciples and by extension, all of us are his friends. And he, he says, uh, says just as much in other parts of the, the New Testament. Um, And this is really an ideal throughout the Christian tradition, this ideal of taking up the cross. Um, Jesus even says in another part of the Gospels, if you want to be my follower, you will have to take up your cross and follow me. And this, this theme of, of loving to the point of sacrifice and even sacrificing oneself completely uh, is a theme over and over again in the Christian tradition, in the lives of saints, in the writings of mystics. Um, not necessarily always the, the foremost message in conventional Christianity. And I'm, I'm presencing it today because, of course, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was, was a preacher. He actually had a PhD in, in theology. Um, he would have known that passage well. I'm sure. And, and I have to imagine that that passage from, from the Gospel of John meant a lot to him in the last decade of his life. Um, he was very much aware that in, in the fight that he was leading, uh, that his life was on the line um, and that it was becoming more so as the years went on. Um, in, in the spring of 1968, he was invited to Memphis. There was a, a, a sanitation collector's uh, strike. Basically, the sanitation collectors, I mean, they were, mo- they were mostly black, and they were, they were just given the shaft. They were getting very poor rip wages. They had no benefits. It was, they were just being horribly treated, and it kind of came to a head when there were these these two young sanitation workers, they were working on this garbage truck that was stuck and they were trying to figure out what was making it stuck. And suddenly it turned on and it ground both of them to death. Mm. And, and of course, you know, the families got nothing because there were no benefits, you know. So it was just this horrible situation. And King went to Memphis to support them. He knew he was risking his life. I mean, he risked his life to help garbage men. 
Um, and of course in Memphis he was he was shot to death. And he he seemed to be very much aware, you know, even in the in the Promised Land speech which he gave the night before he died. You know, he's talking very much about, you know, he saw his himself as. Uh, you know, being open to this this sacrifice of giving everything for this cause. So, of course, this is a very high ideal. And as I say, it it appears it appears frequently in the Christian tradition, in the lives of saints, in in the mystics. Um, it doesn't necessarily appear in conventional Christianity. In fact, some conventional Christianities are very much concerned with making people feel comfortable, you know, and the exact opposite thing. Um, one way that it's, this ideal sometimes plays out in ordinary culture, um, kind of a, a, a parody of it in a way, is when somebody has a martyr complex, you know, and they're giving and they're giving, and, and there's, you know, all the resentment, you know, how come I'm always the one giving, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and of course, there's there's no self responsibility in that. There's often not the insight that they're creating their own problem. The uh, the Christian, the true Christian ideal of of love at this level, really requires a, a much greater degree of self responsibility. Um, something that would be absent from the martyr complex. Um, so how does this look through the lens of Buddhism? You know, Buddhism talks about the the, the struggles that that we have to endure, um, the attachments to self ultimately that we have to overcome in order to achieve enlightenment, and it certainly occasionally uses this heroic imagery to describe the people who have, you know, the enlightened beings who have gone this path. Um, I don't know that it's always completely evident from the from the language in Buddhism that enlightenment, among other things, involves an ego death. It involves it involves breaking of these such primary ego attachments. You know, we get bent out of shape over everyday attachments. You know, <laughs> to say nothing of like primary attachments to you know, our very being. For example, Buddhism has this, these ideas, and I, I talk about these often, the four illimitable minds, the four mind states without limit. And these four are love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And on the surface, they sound lovely. They sound fun. Like, who doesn't want more love and joy, you know? Who doesn't want more equanimity? Sounds great, you know? Um, but they're called mind states without limit because ultimately they take us beyond the limits of ego. And really to, to, borrow, um, to borrow imagery from Christianity, we could almost talk about them as being four crosses. You know, ironic maybe to talk about the cross of love, the cross of joy, you know, but what do we really have to give up 
what do we really have to let go of in ourselves to open to that fully, you know? And so it's a very interesting question. It raises all kinds of questions. You know, how deeply do we give? How much are we willing to sacrifice ourselves in various situations, you know? And I'll point out, you know, there, there is the, there's the kind of sacrifice where we know there's an, a payoff at the end. And that's not really, like, that's more delayed gratification. Like, I'm going to endure this sacrifice because I know I'm going to get something for it kind of thing. That, that's not really what I'm talking about here. And it's something I, I, I've mentioned a few times in this Sangha. As I get older, I really think that the adults now in the United States, that all of us, we're probably the most spoiled group of adults that has ever walked the earth, you know, all of us. And I, I, I totally include myself in this, you know. I mean, we all have the Internet in our pocket. Like, that, that's absolutely absurd, you know. And we're all just so used to, like, if we wanted, we could get, you know, whatever product we want, whatever experience we want, you know. We live in a society which makes it so easy to choose comfort. And of course, if someone is choosing comfort consistently, they're not choosing growth. Um, and even those of us who choose growth and who choose to do flamboyantly uncomfortable things like sit in a 40-minute silent meditation, you know, <laughs> I mean, even we, you know, we kind of we kind of have this control dial, like, all right, I want this much growth, but not too much. I want this much come challenge, but not too much, you know? Like, we're so used to being comfortable. And that's just something to look at and something to work with, you know? What is, what is my attitude? What is my attachment to my comfort, you know? And... and you know, what is my tolerance for being uncomfortable? You know, and so part of this is about um, self-responsibility. And part of it is about capacity also, just uh, developing our capacity. I have a friend who likes to say the most important question in life is how big is your capacity? You know, just how big an experience can you hold, you know? And of course, we grow our capacity every day by leaning into our edge, leaning into what feels uncomfortable. Not necessarily diving headlong into what, what feels uncomfortable, but at least leaning into it. Over time, that grows our capacity. So I'm going to share the quote sheet. I'll share it first. Did I? Ah, yes. Okay, so the Zoomies have the quote sheet. Now I can share it with the folks in the room. Yeah, we'll pass those around that way. And I think there are a few more here. Oh, okay, there are a few more. Okay. Oh, there are a few more in here. All right. 
here. You can just make a pile back there of the extras. So I have the, at the top the, the quote from the Gospel of John. From the Buddha. Just as with her own life, a mother shields from hurt her own son, her only child, let all embracing thoughts for all beings be yours. And just that idea that we would love anyone with that same fierceness and protectiveness that a a mother loves her child, you know, it's a very high ideal. A quote from Mengzi, also known as Mencius. Mengzi is the number two guy in the Confucian tradition. He's, um, He's said to have been the person who added a heart quality to the entire Confucian tradition. So Mengzi says, So it is that whenever heaven invests a person with a great responsibility, first it tries his resolve, exhausts his muscles and bones, starves his body, leaves him destitute, and confounds his every endeavor. In this way, his patience and endurance are developed, and his weakness are overcome. You know, and how often when things are going really bad for us, do we get into that self-pity place of, why is everything going bad for me, you know? And rather than seeing it as perhaps a preparation for a mission. Rumi said, grief can be the garden of compassion. If you keep your heart open through everything, your pain can be your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom. So true. James Allen said, there can be no progress, no achievement without sacrifice, and a man's worldly success will be in the measure of of that he sacrifices. From T.S. Eliot, to apprehend the point of intersection of the timeless with time is an occupation for the saint. No occupation either, but something given and taken in a lifetime's death and love, ardor and selflessness and self-surrender. Just a a few words, T.S. Eliot captures it so well. Death and love, order, selflessness, and self-surrender. Viktor Frankl, who spent part of his life in a concentration camp, in some ways suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning, such as the meaning of sacrifice. Thomas Merton said, the whole idea of compassion is based on a keen awareness of the interdependence of all these living beings, which are all part of one another and are all involved in one another. There's a wonderful image from the, uh, from the Lotus Sutra. The Buddha talks about the net of Indra, and apparently it's this magical net, and at each place where a string crosses, there's a diamond, and each diamond reflects the whole of the net. And so that if anything happens at any point in the neck, there's a tear or a tangle, it's reflected throughout the whole net. And the Buddha said, we humans, are that net of Indra. We're that interconnected and we don't realize it, you know. Nelson Mandela said, our human compassion binds us the one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learned how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future. A quote from Dr. King himself, as my sufferings mounted, I soon realized there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation either to react with bitterness or to seek the transform, 
seek to transform the suffering into creative force, I decided to follow the latter course. Jim Rohn says quite simply, if you're not willing to risk the usual, you will have to settle for the ordinary. (laughs) A very blunt quote. Philosopher Michael Novak said, love is not a feeling of happiness. Love is a willingness to sacrifice. The Dalai Lama said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Gary Zukov said, only choices made in love are compassionate. There are no exceptions. Do you have the courage to act with an empowered heart without attachment to outcome? If not, you have no ability to give or experience compassion. This is the shocking truth. Sharon Salzberg said, We can learn the art of fierce compassion, redefining strength, deconstructing isolation, and renewing a sense of community, practicing letting go of rigid us-versus-them thinking, while cultivating power and clarity in response to difficult situations. She also said, Someone who has experienced trauma also has gifts to offer us in their depth, their knowledge of universal vulnerability, and their experience of the power of compassion. A quote from a David White poem, I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love. He also said in a, in a talk during the pandemic, My good sister Jane, who's a nurse and who has sat by the deathbed of the dying for years, she always says, it's not what they did that they regret, but what they didn't do. It's the way they weren't generous, the way they didn't give when they could have given when they had, when they could have given it. And at this time, when everything's being taken away, they realize in a sense how ridiculous it was to hold on to something that would have to be given in the end anyway to give it voluntarily, to give it generously, to give it at the right moment when it's asked for, when the tide is right, to be present, to give it away and then turn away happy, to be happy in having given. Mitch Albom said, sacrifice is part of life. It's supposed to be. It's not something to regret. It's something to aspire to. Jordan Peterson says quite simply, don't sacrifice who you could be, for who you are. David Foster Wallace said, the really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and effort, being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over again in the myriad, petty, little, unsexy ways every day. Brene Brown said, when we're looking for compassion, we need someone who is deeply rooted, able to bend, and most of all, embraces us for our strengths and our struggles. Young Li Mingur said, if we could see the whole truth of any situation, our only response would be one of compassion. And I often think of that. I think of, you know, the person yelling in the grocery store, the, you know, the person yelling on Bart or something, the person who appears angry or threatening. You know, if we could really watch a film of everything that happened to that person since childhood... It would break our hearts, you know. And finally, Lawrence Oliver said, I guess that's just part of loving people. You have to give things up. Sometimes you even have to give them up. And it's the sad truth that sometimes the people we love die.